All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, lesson 34. Uh, Kevin, what week are we in as well? Week 34. Yeah, wow, week 34, lesson 34, talking about 1 Samuel 15 and 16. The phrase about the Messiah that's found in 1 Samuel is the anointed one. And if there's one uh, lesson that would really make sense, this would be the one today. And so we're going to write this one up here, the anointed one. Obviously, we had been talking about Saul. He was the first anointed king uh, of Israel, but Saul's got some issues. He's letting his son, Jonathan, uh, basically take the lead because Saul's not necessarily doing it. He's not necessarily listening to the Lord. And crazy enough, in 1 Samuel 15, we see it again. In 1 Samuel 15, the first three verses, he's clearly instructed from the Lord to what? He want, he's told to go and destroy all the Amalekites. Like, that's your job. Destroy all. Destroy all All would mean all of them. Like it says in verse 3, do not spare them. Kill men, women, children, infants, oxen, sheep, camels. Oh, should I kill the donkeys? And kill the donkeys. Like, you kill everything. And crazy enough, in verses 4 through 9 of 1 Samuel 15, Saul, he captured King uh, Agag. And what do you know? What did he do? He decided to keep him and the best of the animals, the sheep, the cattle, the fatlings. That, that wasn't the option. Because of his disobedience, watch what happened. In verse 16 through 23, it says that he was anointed, but he was disobedient. And then to the point of actually being rejected. Saul was being rejected by the Lord, by Samuel, because of his disobedience. To the point where in verses 24 through 30, Saul actually tore Samuel's robe. And then Samuel looks back at Saul and says, and now the kingship of Israel has been torn away from you as well. And it goes back to, he didn't do all of the things that he heard the Lord tell him to do. And then in verses 32 through 35, let's just go there. This is super graphic. Samuel says, bring me Agag, king of Amalek. Right? Why? Because he was there. He was safe. He was being, uh, you know, he was the, 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 the capture, uh, king and Saul didn't kill him. So Agag came to Samuel trembling for he thought certainly the bitterness of death has come. And oh, he, he was right. Verse 33, Samuel declared, as your sword has made women children, childless, so your mother will be childless among women. Then he, then he hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gilgal. What Agag did is now it was brought upon him. So Samuel, the prophet, he also served in some form as a, as a judge, right? Wouldn't you say? And then in verse 34, Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Oh, like nothing happened. You know, like, oh yeah, I just hacked up a guy to pieces, by the way. And all of it came because of Saul's disobedience. So that's our kind of our backdrop. In verse uh, Samuel 16.1, the Lord said to Samuel, it's time to get over it. How long are you going to mourn for Saul? How long are you going to be frustrated that Saul doesn't make the right decisions? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil. Okay, here's what I want you to do. 
I want you to fill your, fill your horn with oil and go. And I'm sending you specifically to a location, to Jesse of Bethlehem, because I have selected a king from his sons. So here you are in Ramah, right? Because in 1 Samuel 15, at the very end, right? Isn't that where it says he goes? Samuel went to Ramah, right? And then Saul went up to his home in, in Gibeah, okay? But now look, it says in 1 Samuel 16, 1, then it says, okay, get over it. I'm now giving you somebody else. So I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, that was for you, Rich. Because I've selected a king from his sons. So who's doing the selecting? Lord. The Lord. Who's doing the picking and the choosing? The Lord. And the Lord says, oh, by the way, you get your horn, you get your oil, you get it ready because I'm going to choose a king for my, myself. It's a pretty cool picture. Now, when you think of Bethlehem, house of bread, the grain center, possibly of that region. Okay, that's maybe why it's house of bread. But then here you have this, this mentality of going to Jesse of Bethlehem. So like there's going to be a king that comes from, from Israel. Okay, this is in reference to we, we're going to have a king of Israel. Numbers 24 verse 17 says, I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob and a scepter will arise from Israel. He will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down all the Shethites. But what I want to show is, is that here we are in 1 Samuel 16 saying God has selected a king. Oh, by the way, it said this in Genesis 3. It said this in Numbers 24. All of this is building about the coming king, about the coming Messiah. And in fact, 1 Samuel 2.10, if you'll go there as well, Kevin. In 1 Samuel 2.10, it says this. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. So we know that this anointing is going to come through the kingship of Israel. Okay? The kingship of Israel. Okay? And then it's in Psalm 2. Kevin, if you'll go there. So it's kind of a little bit longer, a little bit bigger here. Psalm 2, it just says this. Why do the nations rebel and the people's plot in vain? Verse 2, the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Verse 3, let us tear off their chains and free ourselves from their restraints. And then it says in verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord ridicules them. And then he says in verse 7, I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son today. I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession you will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like pottery. And so what he did, he begins even in here is just like this kingship, this anointing, like God clearly has this, this, this plan uh, of his son to take over as the king. And so I just kind of want to see this thread of the king of Israel. Now watch this, okay, as this continues to unfold. He's also going to come from what tribe, you guys? Tribe of Judah. Uh, can you go to Ruth 4? 12. Again, there's a lot here that we're going to unpack even more down the road, but I want you to see this. May your house become like the house of Perez, the son of Tamar, born to, Jude, born to Judah, because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Okay, so the young woman is going to come through this lineage. Okay, it even goes back to, to Judah. Go back to verse 22 now in Ruth 4:22. And Obed fathered Jesse, who fathered David. So we know that here you have the tribe of Judah, right? We know that Jesse in Bethlehem, is tied to the tribe of tribe of Judah. Okay, again, simple verses. I just want to make sure we, we don't miss uh, the connection here. Can you go to Genesis 49, 10 for me as well? 
Samuel is told, go from Ramah to Bethlehem, okay? The city of David down the road. Now remember, the coming Messiah is going to come. The king, the coming king is going to come from Judah. So it's important that as Samuel comes to Jesse of Bethlehem, you could at least start to think, I wonder if this is really the king now. Because obviously Saul doesn't fit into this lineage. The scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belongs to him. Again, everything flows from uh, from the king of Israel into Judah. And then, just as a last point here, if you go to Micah 5.2, again, I understand we have talked about this over and over throughout the Old Testament, but again, I think this is cool because we're going to begin to see the beginning fulfillment. Bethlehem, Epathratha. Uh, you are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. So if I am Samuel and I get to hear Hey, go to Jesse of Bethlehem. And if he really knows the word of God, he should already know there's a really good chance this is the guy. Just already. But his first response, this is kind of crazy to me, okay, is that in verse 2, Samuel asked, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. So his first response in going to this is what? Fear. The prophet of God, his first response is fear. And what's crazy to me is we just read verses all throughout the Old Testament that point to the coming king, the coming Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. He's going to come from the tribe of Judah. We should know that Jesse is from the tribe of Judah because he's tied to Ruth and that we know that he's coming in in Numbers 24. Like this is going to be an eternal kingship. Like this kingship is not going to stop. If I am the prophet, I'm not thinking about Saul. I'm thinking about, man, I got to walk out the, the promises of, of prophecy. I get to see the fulfillment of prophecy. He says, how can I go? Saul's going to kill me. But it's crazy to me because all of a sudden Saul is more powerful than God. Like that's what fear does. The fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. And so the reality should be the prophet should not think about fear, but oh, God's got my back. And the Lord answered, the Lord answered Samuel. And this is what he said. You take a young cow with you and you say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So just in case something happens, you tell him this is your game plan. I have a sacrifice to the Lord. It sounds like a good game plan. So, but the route from Ramah, if you'll go back, okay, remember this. The route from Ramah to Bethlehem comes right through Saul's hometown. So when you're doing this journey, just take a young cow. I mean, it's not like he's loading him up into the back of the trailer and he gets into his, you know, his F-150. You know, he has to like haul this young cow, right? And so it's not like a fast process. It's a slow process. Kevin, we go to First uh, Samuel 2.10. I think this is so crazy to me. First Samuel 2.10. We've talked about this. We already read this, but I don't want to miss this one. Okay. First Samuel 2.10. Okay. So think about this. Okay. This is Hannah. Hannah is told what? That she's going to give a, uh, a birth to a child. Hannah's son is going to be Samuel. Samuel is going to what? Lift up the horn of his anointed. He's going to give power to his king. Samuel gets to anoint the king. So Samuel in his mind should know the prophecy that his mom heard from the Lord. So he's walking with a young cow and he gets to actually experience what his mom heard. Like this is how real experiencing the fulfillment of prophecy is. Verse four. So Samuel did exactly... um, uh, well, let, let me just say this in verse 3, then invite Jesse to the sacrifice. 
So when you get into Bethlehem, find Jesse, and then I'll let you know what you're to do. Don't you love that? I'm not going to tell you everything you need to know. I just need you to go to Bethlehem. I just need you to find Jesse, bring him to the sacrifice, and then I'll tell you what to do. No, 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 God, God, hold, hold on. I'll go to Bethlehem. I'll even work through Saul's hometown, tell him I'm going to sacrifice. But you need to unfold the bigger picture, please. Like, I need to know, <laughs> this is what we really do. Are you going to actually pay for, like, my lodging on the way? <laughs> are you going to have food for me when I'm in Bethlehem? It's a house of bread. Uh, you know, like, are you going to have these things for, are you going to surround me with some friends? Am I going to be hated? I'll tell you what you do once you get there. Folks, again and again and again, it's faith. A prophet has to walk by faith. And then you're to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. And by the way, do you think Samuel knows what this guy looks like? I don't even know if he knows who Jesse is. He's going to go find Jesse of Bethlehem. Hopefully there's only one, because if they all show up, we're in trouble. And then I'm going to tell you what you do. You're going to anoint for me the one that I tell you who to anoint. And so Samuel says in verse 4, he did exactly what the Lord uh, directed. And he went to Bethlehem. Isn't this interesting? I know there's a contrast, but in 1 Samuel 15, uh, Samuel and the Lord instructed Saul to kill and wipe out everything, right? But Saul picked and chose what he liked. Saul does everything that the Lord directed. He went to Bethlehem. And now when he comes, when the, the prophet comes in the town, the elders of the town are freaking out. They meet him and they're trembling. And so then they ask him, do you, do you come in? Hey man, do you come in peace? <laughs> And he goes, in peace. <laughs> he replied, I don't know, whatever. So Samuel replied, I've come to sacrifice. Look, I've got a cow here, a young cow. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart, by the way, and you come with me to the sacrifice. Now this word sacrifice, I'm sorry, this word consecrate, uh, you know, typically it's a cleansing and a washing, right, of, of garments. So it's this outer. In fact, if you go to Exodus 19, verse 10, Kevin. Exodus 19, verse 10. <laughs> this is crazy. I'm only on one page. We haven't even made it anywhere close to the story, but hey, whatever. And the Lord told Moses, you go to the people and you consecrate them today and tomorrow. They must wash their clothes. Verse 14. <laughs> verse 14. Don't you love this? The Lord actually commanded you have to wash clothes. And so it says in verse 14, they washed their clothes. Now we're talking about an outer expression, right? Preparing our hearts. But what I do love is, is at the same time, it's an inner expression. I'm going to jump to the Brit Hadashah. I'm going to jump to the New Testament just for a second. 1 John 1, 9 has the same mentality that if you are to come before the Lord, like there's going to be anointing that takes place. And in 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is the only one clearly that can cleanse our inside. And so what we have in this mentality is, is that when we come before the Lord in a time of drawing near to him, we need to make sure our inner and our outer are prepared. Now, in this context, he says, by the way, guys, set yourself apart. And then he says in verse five, then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. Interesting enough, because we already know the story right now at this point, the only there's right now there, we think there's only seven sons that have been consecrated. There's still another one out there that didn't get consecrated. I think that's really, really important. Think about this. He consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. Okay, does that make sense? Like the one whose heart, I'm just, I'm already jumping ahead here, but the one whose heart was already prepared wasn't even at this point of consecration. So it says in verse six, when they arrived, that would be the sons, right? This would be Jesse's sons of Bethlehem. 
Samuel saw Eliab. Okay, Eliab means my God is father. Certainly, Samuel said, the Lord's anointed one is here before him. So I'm going to guess he's going to bring him in order of, of, uh, of age, you know, like just keep going down the line. And, and then in verse seven, here's the classic. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. You know, when you walk into uh, the anointing, when you walk into the anointed, like that's you, that's all of us. Just so you know, we're going to get into that a little bit down the road. But one of the components of understanding is that you have a heart for God. But the Lord sees the heart. What an awesome picture. The heart embodies the emotions, as MacArthur says, the intellect, the will, the desires. Like the life of a person will truly reflect the heart. I mean, go back to Matthew, not go back to, but if you would go to Matthew 12, verse 34. Matthew 12, verse 34. I mean, we know what's inside of a heart because it comes out of your, your mouth. Root of vipers, how can you speak good things when you're evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. How do you know about your heart? How do you know about where you're at with the Lord? Honestly, it's what comes out of your mouth. I mean, some of the things that I say every once in a while to my kids when I'm tired, I'm just like, dear Lord, where did that come from? You guys ever ever been there before? Clayton, don't shake your head. You don't have kids yet. (laughs) But the point is, is like he wants to see a pure heart because those are the ones that will see, see God. So what you see in verses 8 through 10 is a process of Jesse calling the sons. He calls Abinadab and the Lord says, nope, didn't choose him. Then Jesse presents Shema and then Samuel says, nope, the Lord hasn't chosen him. And then in verse 10, Jesse, after Jesse presented seven of his sons, remember all of these have been consecrated. All of these have been brought before the Lord. The Lord says, nope, I haven't chosen any of these. And then in verse 11, Samuel said, Are, hey, is this all you got? <laughs> Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, he answered, but... Right now, all he's just tending the sheep. And Samuel told Jesse, you send for him and we won't sit down until eat. We won't sit down to eat until until he gets here. In other words, nobody move. Let's go get the one. He could be the one that you've forgotten about. And in fact, one of the other components is, is that being anointed means at times, at times, you will be rejected by man. You have to have a heart for God. But oh, by the way, that's the youngest. He's fine. I don't really need to see and experience him. But think about this. Jacob, Gideon, Joseph, David, even though David is labeled as the firstborn of Israel, he's still the the youngest. All of these men were the youngest. In fact, I love this because it's a foreshadow of the coming Messiah. Jesus was rejected by his family. And I believe that this little act from Jesse and the brothers was as a foreshadow, as a type of, of Christ. Scripture continues on in verse 12. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. It says, and the Lord said, anoint him for he is the one. You know what I love is, is that the anointed are exalted by God. God says, I'm going to choose you. This is the one that I want you to anoint. So Samuel, he took the horn of oil. And I just think about this picture, you guys. Where's David right now? He's out in the sheepfold. He's out in the pasture. He literally is going to see Psalm 78, 70 through 72 come to fruition. Psalm 78, verse 70 through 72. This is my theme verse that I had during Dallas Seminary was a maintenance man. I actually painted this on a canvas and it says this. He chose David, his servant. Remember, Samuel didn't. God did. 
And they took him from the sheepfolds, and then look what happened. Look at this progression, verse 71. He brought him from tending ewes to be shepherd over his people, Jacob, over Israel, his inheritance. Where did he come from? The fold. And then in verse 78, Psalm 78, 72 says, he shepherded them, watch, look at this, with a pure heart. I actually believe Psalm 78, 72 is in reference to 1 Samuel 16, how God looks for a heart, a man after God's own heart. And it says he guided them with skillful hands. What I love about people that walk in the anointing, it's they're exalted by God, not by man. You, you actually don't have to force anything. If you walk out the anointing, like I get this, like there's seasons, like people are like, oh, if Jesus was here today, he'd use social media, he'd use Facebook, he'd use Instagram. Yeah, I, I do think some of that would be true. I do. I think some of that would be true. But not to the point where I think you have to promote yourself. I actually think that if God is in this, he'll exalt you. You don't have to do it yourself. It's exactly what happened to David. And in verse uh, 13, Samuel, he took the horn of oil. Look at this. He anointed him in the presence of his of his brothers. I mean, that right there just screams Joseph, does it not? Hey, by the way, I've seen this dream of these stars and hey, you're going to bow down to me. No family member likes to hear you're better than them. And so you can already feel like, uh, I don't know if this is going to go so well because you just all got rejected. And in front of everybody, it says the spirit of the Lord took control of David from that day forward. As you walk out the anointing, it's fair to say you are and will be empowered by the spirit of God. You don't have to force it. It will come from the spirit of God. Crazy enough, this anointing that we see take place, the anointing that came on his body, it says it, it took place in front of his family. Down the road, we know it's going to take place in front of the tribe of Judah. And we also know, remember, we talked about three anointings. And then we know it's going to take place in front of all of Israel. It's like this cool progression, family, Judah, Israel. Which says to me, you can't just jump straight to Israel. You have to understand the progression of walking out the anointing. In fact, the Damascus Road experience, the night that changed my life in April of 2001, when I was reading this text, um, I was actually in, in Indiana when I was studying this text, and I actually thanked the individual that anointed my entire body. There's two people. And I just said, you know, if it wasn't for Samuel, David might not have been able to experience the anointing that God called. And so this prophet that walked out in obedience, and so I wrote this person, I just said, thank you for being obedient enough to buy a jar of oil in the morning in Upland, Indiana, put it in your backpack and knowing that God is going to tell you that you're going to anoint somebody later on that day. It's exactly what happened to Samuel's mom, Hannah. And Samuel was holding on to, can I just say this jar of oil? What day can I do this? No, I know not literally, but this is the mentality. He's always expecting to walk out God's calling so that he can release the anointing for somebody else. I love this picture. All I want to just say is this. We do know, okay, all throughout Scripture, even at one point, Saul was empowered by the Holy Spirit. We even know that uh, Saul's agent since 1 Samuel 19, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We know that in 2 Samuel 23, David, uh, even in 2 Chronicles 20, Jehaziel, empowered by the Spirit of God. We know that in Isaiah 61, the Spirit of God comes on the coming Messiah, the King. We know that Ezekiel experiences the Spirit of God. We know that Ezekiel, again in Ezekiel 37, experiences the power of God. So in the Old Testament, what you should see is that the Spirit of God gives them the power that they need to walk out their calling. And the prophet Samuel released that. It's a cool picture, and I love watching this unfold. And it says in verse 14, Now the Spirit of the Lord, watch this, had left Saul. 
I just want to say, this sounds drastic, but out with the old and with the new. You guys remember the very beginning of verse one, right? What it says, it's time to move on. God always has like a, a new plan. God has a new plan that I need you to walk out, Samuel. So get over the fact that Saul has been disobedient. I got a new guy. And oh, by the way, this is my guy. That was man's plan. But God now says, I have my plan. It goes back to even first Samuel 14 about Saul said, don't touch the honey. But Jonathan says, man, I'm eating the honey. God knows who men are after men and women who are after God's God's heart. And so the spirit of the Lord had left Saul an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. Dun, dun, dun. What? What in the heck does that mean? An evil spirit sent from the Lord. I'm just going to give you four different things that it could be. Okay. Nelson says this. Uh, one is it could be demon possession as divine punishment. Okay. It could be. Okay. Demon possession as divine punishment. Most would allude to this. Another one could be just a demonic attack that comes at that moment or a demonic influence. Okay. So one could be a uh, demonic possession, like you are actually possessed with the demons, or it could be an oppression, the demonic are just coming at you. It could be number three, an evil messenger was literally just sent to entice him to do these things. Okay. An evil messenger, even found in first Kings, but then it could just be, this is an interesting one, a spirit of discontent created by Saul's heart. Like, ah, oh, this isn't right anymore. Like, so it could be one of the four. It could be a couple of the four. I don't, I don't know, but it's just a good image about either way. We know that the Lord was the one who sent the evil spirit. Kind of a crazy impact. Verse 15, so Saul's servant said to him, hey, look, you see that an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Hey, by the way... <laughs> You're being tormented. Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence, okay, to look for somebody who knows how to play the lyre. Whenever the evil spirit from God troubles you, that person can, I was going to be like, play the lyre, but what would you do with the lyre, Kevin? What's my, what's my act here? Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> oh, y'all know. That's good. I should have gone to music Tom, music man Tom here. And then you will feel better. Then Saul commanded his servants Find somebody who plays well and bring him to me. In verse 18, one of the young men answered, said, hey, I know, I know a guy. I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the harp. He's a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is, is with him. And so what I think is interesting, there's all kinds of words, okay, that, that I really think you could use to describe this. Okay, but one, one of them is, is I'm just going to use the word integrity. I think of a person of anointing, you're always going to be walking out of integrity, okay? Again, there's so much here. But at the same time, I just want to put this one here. He's also going to be a man of faith. Can you go to Genesis 4.21? The father of the lyre, okay? The instrument, I mean, like this. His brother was Jubal. He was the father of all who play the lyre and the flute. I don't know what that means. Maybe he invented it. Maybe he's the one who is like, oh, yeah, man, I really want to be like uh, Bach or Beethoven or Jubal. Maybe that was David's desire, right? He wanted to be like Jubal. Anyway, either way, whatever it was, this man, David, was extremely gifted in playing music, worship music, maybe even out in the pasture. And so it says this in verse 19, then Saul dispatched messengers suggesting, he said, hey, send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread 
a skin of wine and the one young goat and sent them by his son, David, to Saul. So in other words, Jesse is, comes bearing gifts to the king. Now remember, if I'm Jesse, what are you thinking right now? Uh, my son was anointed king. Uh, this could not go well. Absolutely. And in verse 21, my last point here, you guys, is that it says, when David came to Saul, he entered his service. You know what that means to me? In humility. David doesn't come in and say, hey, I've been anointed king. <laughs> no, he doesn't do that at all. Saul admired him greatly and David became his armor bearer. And then Saul sent word to Jesse, let David remain in my service for I'm pleased with him. And whenever the spirit from God troubled Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play and Saul would then be relieved. <laughs> like not in the bathroom, but like he just felt better, feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. You, you know what I love about this is? In humility, he just serves. And through his service, through his humility, guess what happens? God positions him for more. And that's what we're going to unfold more and more as we continue to teach through 1 Samuel. Thanks, guys, for listening. And I uh, hope you've been encouraged. And we'll talk to you tomorrow.